This episode is centered around an assumption about an experience I'm sure you've had, because I'm sure everyone has had this experience. And I'm talking about those times when you didn't feel seen, you didn't feel heard. It felt like your ideas, your values, your worldview just didn't matter to those around you. And that was a horrible feeling. I know because I have been there. We all have. Sometimes for little blitz blips in our lives and sometimes for most of our lives. And wherever your life's experiences register on that scale of experience, I'm sure you'll gain a lot of insights from this upcoming conversation with Angela Dalton, an author whose big heart is perfectly aligned with her high-integrity intelligence and her full-on mission to make this world a better place for all, which definitely synchronizes with what this, the Big Picture Social Emotional Learning Podcast, is all about. Angela Dalton lives in Oakland, California, has a background in producing online kids' games, and is a published children's book author. Angela's books center Black children as main characters in ways she wishes she had seen when she was growing up, which is another reason I loved sharing conversation with this woman. She had a frustrating, unsatisfying, unfulfilled area of her life, And rather than complaining about that deficit, Angela has been developing constructive countermeasures for today's youth. Dalton is a member of the Bay Area BIPOC Book Creators, the Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators, and the the 12 by 12 Picture Book Challenge. Her most recent picture books, Ruby's Reunion Day Dinner, published by HarperCollins, was released in May of 2021. Show the World, published by Viking Books for Young Readers, was released in April of 2022. Scheduled to be released in 2023 by HarperCollins publisher is Angela's next book, To Boldly Go, How Nichelle Nichols and Star Trek Advanced Civil Rights. This conversation flew by for me, and I trust it will for you as well. Thank you for being here. My name is Nene White. I am your host, and as always, I am just so grateful to share this time with you. Oh, and have you joined the Big Picture Social Emotional Learning Podcast Facebook page? I hope so, because it's a great place to share your thoughts, ask questions, connect with other teachers who've been enjoying these conversations. And if you're more of a TikTok person, well, I think I'm going to be moving in that direction too. Not quite there yet, but soon. Okay. Oh, and one more thing. Be sure and check out the show's notes. There's going to be some really good resources there for you. Okay. Thanks. going to shift gears here for a couple of minutes to share something with you that's been on my mind for a while. See what you think. Most teachers have the idea that if they correct children's problem-causing behaviors often enough, the children's behaviors will eventually improve. But those constant corrections could actually be counterproductive, backfiring on you. I get it. I do. I've been there. We all have. Kids are brand new little people and they need to learn from us. So it's easy to believe that we just need to keep repeating what we know they need to learn so they can be happy and make friends and have better lives. But if that is actually the best and only way to improve kids' problem-causing behaviors, then all kids who were constantly corrected would turn out to be wonderfully behaved kids. (laughs) The thing is, we all know that's not how it is. In fact, continually correcting kids' problem-causing behaviors, as we all have seen, often has the exact opposite effect from our good intentions, with causing some rebellion and unhappy resistance and all that awful stuff. Would you like to know how you can actually get kids' problem-causing behaviors to change 
really change? Permanently change? You get groups of kids thinking together to preemptively, objectively, and impersonally analyze problem-causing behaviors with which they're all familiar. And then you ask them a series of well-thought-out questions that draw upon their own creative problem-solving instincts, combined with their natural desire to show how much they know in the company of their peers when they're sure of their answers, combined with, you'll be glad to know, all the corrective guidance they've received from you and their families. Want to know a few of the many advantages to this approach? Okay, number one, they're giving voice together to their own solutions. Number two, they're hearing each other come up with with their own solutions. Number three, they're claiming ownership within the group to their own solutions, which results in them actually correcting each other's problem-causing behaviors in ways that they tend to respond to with much less resistance than to our corrections when those real problem uh, situations arise. Just for a moment, can you think back to when you were a kid? From a kid's point of view, how much sense does this make to you? How much did you like always being told what to do? How much did you like making up your own rules for all the things you did with other kids? Well, that's what can be done with this new approach to correct problem-causing behaviors. Is there a learning curve? Sure, but it's not a steep learning curve when you remember how you felt when you were a kid, always being told what to do. You just have to ask yourself, does it really make any sense to continually correct children's problem-causing behaviors and keep ending up with the same resistance and frustration and rebellion? Or does it make more sense to try a different way of relating to kids that draws upon their own natural problem-solving instincts so that both you and they can enjoy, enjoy more of your time together because you have learned how to guide them into engaging with the best of what's already inside them, ready and waiting to be exercised for everyone's happiness and well-being. So, if you'd like to learn more about this way of approaching kids' problem-causing behaviors, please join us on the Big Picture Social Emotional Learning Podcast Facebook group, where you can connect with me and with other teachers to learn some of the brain science behind why this approach works so well, and to learn about a variety of kids who respond to to this approach, and to learn a whole lot more. Okay, see you in the Facebook group, hopefully. Okay, so Angela Dalton, you and I met at a reading that you gave at your uh, your recently published book, Show the World, yeah. and I, it was so delightful, and I just love and respect the overarching theme and the motivation of this book, and I saw how much children had all of their attention on what you were sharing with them. And so how would you like to describe this book to our listeners? Oh, that is a great question. Thank you. And first, let me say thank you so much for having me on the Big Picture Social Emotional Learning Podcast. It's such a joy to be here. Um, And it was so wonderful to meet you at at the reading. Thank you for coming. And I do feel like this book fits so well with the, um, the, the mission of your podcast about emotional and social learning. And so, yes, so the, Show the World is my third book that um, has come out, recently came out in April of 2022. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would describe this book for me personally, I feel like it has a lot of, of different meanings and that's usually what happens with a book for an author. Yeah. But I would say that the first and foremost is it's my love letter to the black and brown children of Oakland, California. Yeah. You know, Oakland has such a rich history of culture and art and, you know, music and social justice and 
the, you know, and I moved here from Minneapolis, Minnesota. I'm not a native to the Oakland area. I moved here in 2016 with my husband and my son. Okay. And it was, you know, a wonderful, a wonderful place to end up. Um, and um, so, you know, I quickly wanted to really ingratiate myself into the community. I saw just like Minnesota and Minneapolis, there were, you know, Oakland has a need for a lot of um, help from the community. Um, there is going through a lot of transitions. Mm -hmm. And so I really wanted to ingratiate myself into the community. And writing my children's books was really a great way to do that, to be able to go into schools and to, you know, mm -hmm. connect with preschools and preschool teachers. Mm -hmm. And what I was starting to see when I was doing a lot of author visits and a lot of author readings was that, you know, there were a lot of children who, first of all, didn't like their eyes would go wide open when they would see this black woman walk in and say she wrote this book. Yeah. Many of them did not think that they could ever write books, that black people wrote books, which was uh, heartbreaking. heartbreaking. And I just started to realize that brown and black children really don't have opportunities to see themselves in so many um, aspects of the world. Um, and especially from a creative aspect, um, you know, black people historically have been kept out of, of, um, artistic ventures, even though their artistic ingenuity has been taken <laughs> and appropriated. Right. Right. And so I just really wanted to write this book, show the world to show kids that their creative instincts, their creative ingenuity, their, their creative endeavors were important and that they deserve to see themselves in creative spaces no matter they deserve it they deserve, deserve it. it and we deserve the benefits of their creativity you exactly. know we all need each other's creativity you know we don't need to ah exactly yeah. you know that's one of the things that i like to talk about when i read this particular book is you know i love when I'm in, invited into other cultures. I love experiencing other cultures. And that's just simply what it is, is to, to experience that and to participate it and to amplify it and acknowledge it and celebrate it. Yeah. I, I don't know how one goes into another culture and decides, well, I'm gonna take that and put it in my culture. <laughs> And call it my own and not give credit to the culture that created it. I just, I just don't know how that, how anybody can do that and, and sleep or, in it. Yeah. Or <laughs> not see it or not appreciate it because it's different from mine. I mean, there's both those on that spectrum and, and, you know, it's just yeah. like, let's open hearts and minds, you know, at, at least try, we don't have to accept, but to be open. Exactly, exactly. And, and, and that's exactly it. And, and, you know, my hope also is, you know, this book is for all children, you know, even though right. I really wanted to center brown and black children so they could see themselves in the pages doing these artistic measures. But the book is really for all people, like all children, like you're saying, um, you know, it's, it's about a sharing and, and, and an invitation to share. And yeah. so I hope also that within the pages of this book, you know, children will see um, black and brown children painting murals. Um, they'll see children doing spoken word. They'll do, they'll see them doing artist, art, things artistically that they may be similar, but they just have their own nuance because of the culture and the community in which they're being performed. Mm -hmm. And so I'm also hoping that children will say like, oh, you know, like we do that also, but we do it differently, or we do it this way, or this is what it means in our community. Right. So I also hope that the book can open up conversations for children to talk about the traditions or the the culture, their own cultures in a way that's positive. And what, yes, I love all that. That's, this is why I wanted to have this conversation to share this conversation with the listeners, these perspectives that you're bringing, Angela. The other thing is that as a white woman, as a white person, as a white teacher of white children mostly, we want them to not feel that separation so much, to, mm -hmm. to see the common ground, to see the shared um, opportunities and the shared creativity and the learning that we can do from and with each other. And, and not, it's not a big deal even. This book, it's just natural. You know, let's not make it, woo, wow, you can do that. You know, it's just like, oh, it's you not can radical thinking. Huh? It's not radical thinking. You know, it's, it's very, it's been around for a while. It's just whether right. we practice it or not. Right, right, right. So excuse me for interrupting you, but I just no. had to say that because it's just like, yes, we want brown and black kids to, 
to feel good about themselves, but we want the white kids to just have this be normalized that brown and black kids are just as creative in their own, you know, ways, just as we are in our own ways. And it's just all creativity. Yeah, it really is. Ah! <laughs> but it's also, um, in addition to creativity, though, I, I think it's also important that we, again, it's that, it's that giving that credit where credit is due. Yes. Acknowledging the communities yes. and the culture and the people from which it came from. And I think that's really um, what I've been seeing, you know, over and over time and time again, um, is, is one of the things I don't appreciate or like about social media. Um, you know, so, so I would say like, you know, the first motivation for writing the book was, was just that my, my, my experiences going into classes and children not seeing themselves in the things that they wanted to pursue, the things that they enjoyed. A second aspect of this was, yes, social media, um, you know, especially with TikTok, I think it is, it's becoming more apparent where you have these amazing teenage black and brown creators who are creating these dances or songs and then they're being appropriated by white creators and all of a sudden the white creators are you know going on talk shows and they're getting youtube contracts and deals and but the the but they're never attributing who made the dances they're never talking about these black and brown creators who created these dances so these kids are not getting any recognition for their work or their talent. They're not getting any money. They're not getting paid. Like the white, their white counterparts are getting paid or acknowledged. And, you know, and, and that's been happening for centuries, for centuries. And so for me, that is another thing that I like to talk about when I go to schools is about a cultural appropriation and, and why that's so damaging to communities of color and what we can do to work together to, to take creativity, like you're saying, make it creative for all, but also making sure that the playing field is, is even for the creators and that people are getting paid for their work. Yeah, yeah. So making the playing field even, did, did you want to say something specifically about that? Or your book is geared to just raise the awareness, but did you want to say something about that specifically? Oh, I mean, raising, I'm sorry, you mean in terms of raising awareness? Or I don't know if I'm quite tracking the question. Oh, sorry. The, the playing field, you know, we talk about, you know, so, so there's all this appropriation going on. How do we counteract that? You know, how do we make that so that that's not cool. That's not acceptable. That's not even, that doesn't serve anybody really. It really doesn't. No. That, okay. So yes, that's a great question. You know, there's, that's so hard. I mean, that's like, how do, that's, that's almost like asking a question, like, how do we dismantle racism? Because, yeah. You know, because it's, yeah. it's prevalent and pervasive and, 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 um, you know, it's just, it's just hard to, to really get to the crux of it. And, um, you know, but I think if we talk about in schools of, of what can what can teachers do even about cultural appropriation, I think having conversations about that and what that means, again, you know, and you can use historic figures. You know, there's a movie that just came out now about Elvis, a Elvis biopic. And I'm sorry, but Elvis was one of the biggest appropriators of black music. Right. <laughs> Right. <laughs> right. Like I'm gonna go see it, but it's gonna be really hard to sit through it. But yeah. um, but you know, like, but but you know, so but there you have a perfect example that kids probably have heard of because their parents like Elvis or grandparents like Elvis. Everybody knows who Elvis is. Right. They have a conversation about you know Elvis learned to dance from the black community. Elvis, you know, the song Hound Dog was sung originally by uh, Big Mama Thornton, you know, and he never acknowledged her for wow. singing the first song. Wow. And doing a parallel of their lives, it'd be so easy to show in school of how his trajectory into, you know, stardom, and he's the king of rock and roll and making all of this money, while this woman who really was the, the, you know, one of the main elements of the creation of rock and roll had to fight for her, for fight for everything that she had, you know, she, she had addictions and unfortunately her addictions, you know, um, took her life as well. Like she, she just had a much harder life and, you know, had they worked together, what would her life have looked like? 
had he just been able, just been willing to say, you know what, she was the original, bring her up on stage, she could have been selling records, like, you know, so I think there's conversations that teachers can have about these things that are happening, and how they, how they hurt people's lives, how they hurt communities. Right. Um, yeah, so, you know, and, and Nini, you that. and I were also talking about every year, there's, or not every year, I'm sorry, every three years, there is a um, study that comes out from the Cooperative Children's Book Center School of Education from the University of Wisconsin-Madison. That's a mouthful. <laughs> but every, every three years, they do a study of picture books. And, um, you know, they, they look at the complete uh, body of picture books from all publishers for a year. Like, what were the books, the titles that they put out? What were the messages or the themes in those books? What was, and what was the representation? What was the diversity of those books? And 2018 was the last uh, study that was done. It should be coming out again this year or next year. Mm -hmm. But, you know, when you look at the number of books that are written for white children, which are 50% of all books that were published in 2018, then you start looking at other elements. You start breaking that down. Well, then how many of those books had animals? 27% of those books had animals. So not even kids, just animals. Then you start breaking it down by, by, by diversity you have 10% that were written for African-American children. You have 7% that were written, that feature a character um, for, of an Asian Pacific character, 5% for Latinx, 1% for indigenous. So you take that 50% that were written for white children, and really those are the books that are getting pulled into schools that are being put into libraries. And you only have, you know, a 10%, a 7%, a 5%, 1%. The ability for a child of color, a BIPOC child, to see themselves represented in a book is very low. It's still low in 2022. Now, we might have a little blip because of 2020 and um, the tragedy of George Floyd being murdered and the awareness that sprung from that. But we're also starting to see that that awareness is starting to wane. So while in 2022, that study is probably gonna look like we have a lot more books and a lot more offerings for BIPOC children, I'm more curious to see what happens in 2025 or 2028 mm -hmm. and if things go back to a status quo. Mm -hmm. Because I feel like cyclically, that's, that's what's happened. I should say, so historically, that's what's happened is that there becomes this great awareness and then it shrinks back down. Um, and to, that's one of the reasons that I want to have these kinds of conversations on this podcast because it's just at the, this, this fundamental foundational level that this awareness, if it stays awake and keeps on caring and realizes, okay, just in my classroom, I can bring more of these books and increase this awareness. Even if all of my kids are white, yes. even if all of my kids are white to just show the diversity of humanity in this country. I mean, I'm just, Everybody wins with that because when there's that separation that has been uh, systematically and systemically approved and endorsed and structured, which, you know, we don't have to get on the defensive when we hear that. We just have to acknowledge it and move forward. I'm all about solutions, you know, and I know that you are too. That's why you've written your book. Because if we have solutions that we can put our energy into, then we, then we will maintain hope and the energy to keep moving forward. Yes. But if we keep on looking at these really serious challenges, we could lose energy and motivation. And that must not happen because everything that we do is either for or it's not for. And by being not for, I'm sorry, it's against. Yes, exactly. And so what I love that you're doing is, and what I love sharing about what you're doing is that we can just, okay, one teacher listening to this, three teachers listening to this, they can make a choice, go to the library and get this wonderful book. Mm -hmm. and, and so show the world, tell us a little bit about that book now. Yeah, so show the world. <laughs> we got right into the, the politics of it. We got right into the politics of it. Well, it's, we it's, all connected. <laughs> it's all connected, you know? 
So show the world. Um, what I really feel the most proud of with this book is that it's not what has been come to called a struggle book, meaning it's not showing a black child going through a struggle after struggle after struggle to yep. obtain whatever it is that they want. This book is really it's a high concept book and it's literally just a celebration of creativity and in specifically to the creativity that I grew up with seeing and being surrounded by um, as a black young girl. Um, and that I know even like black children are, you know, seeing today in this hyper technology world. Um, so it starts with a little girl on her doorstep with her camera. Um, and the question is being posed, you know, what will you do or say or make to show the world exactly who you are? Oh. And then we see the girl oh. as she walks through her neighborhood with her camera, taking pictures of all of her friends and all of their creativity. So again, we see a girl who is painting a mural um, on a high wall. We see a drum line. We see um, an, an acapella group. We see a spoken word poet. We see um, kids making rockets at um, at a at a space park. Um, we see kids um, helping their parents with their food truck, making delicious foods. And the other thing that I love about this book is that, again, I say it's a love letter to children in Oakland because there's very specific landmarks, Oakland city landmarks throughout yes. the book. So that was another piece of this that I was really excited that um, uh, Daria Peoples, she's the illustrator of the book yes. who just made it so beautiful, these so vibrant talented. colors, yeah. you know, and she she's also from California originally. And so she really wanted to, you know, project the Oakland feel because it definitely has its own feel as a city yeah. and so i really appreciate the fact that kids you know across again this book is for everybody but specifically for kids in the city can look through these through look through the pages and see the places that they go to so if they see the if they see lake Merritt, so there's a big pavilion at lake Merritt where there's usually drum circles and people doing dances when they go to Lake Merritt, they know that they can dance there. Or if they go to Chabot, they know that they can, that their love for space and science and, and, um, and rocket ships, like that's just as creative. That's a, that's a creative aspect. You know, we talk about science and, and math, but those are just as, are, those are artistic voices as well that we can express ourselves with. Mm -hmm. And so this book really is just about showing all of these kids in their joyfully, um, experiencing their their creativity and proudly showing it to the world out on the streets, out in the parks, you know, just unapologetically loving everything that they're that they're bringing and sharing with the world. Oh, I want you to organize a tour, and I want to be on that tour. <laughs> you are the second person who has said that. <laughs> no, I mean it's just such a natural. It's just such a natural. We could do it with a Zoom thing and just you know have it. Let's really talk about it. Oh, let's do it. I would love to because, again, like I, I, I hope that um, both Daria and myself were able to really pick out because, again, there's just so much to choose from the culture and the history of, yes. of, of Oakland. But we just really wanted to find those pieces that one spoke <laughs> to Black children, but also, again, are open and welcoming to all cultures, all races, all people of whatever orientation. So hopefully, <laughs> everybody's enrichment. Exactly. Yes. 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 And experience and celebration and, you know. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow. I love that. See, this is how I like to feel. This is how I know a conversation is right and a project is right when I get more energy, you know. Oh, thank yeah. you. No, thank this you. is fantastic. So, um, I didn't know if you were cringing or not when you referred to the fact that we were getting into the political stuff, but, um, you know, personally, the reason that I call it big picture social emotional learning is because in my mind, everything is connected. Yes. Everything has an effect on everything else, whether you can see it directly or just 10 years down the line or around the corner or when you're asleep or <laughs> three generations away or whatever, you know, it's all connected. Mm -hmm. And so um, do you have an inclination to get into the CRT concept? And, the, you know, I mean, I think it's so important to help people get out of the emotions uh, that are just triggered by certain factions so that, you know, logical thinking 
is is not encountered and and that just breaks my heart because there's nothing uh scary or damaging or threatening about critical race theory and unless you're terrified of the truth unless you're terrified of facts unless you feel that truth and facts are going to um, threaten your life existence but that isn't what critical race theory is about so tell us your perspective on that yeah thank you for asking me that it's you know it is uh, it's a double-edged sword to to talk about you know except because exactly what you're saying in my in my opinion it you know, critical race theory is just, it's facts on facts on facts. There's no emotion tied to it. There's no, you know, it's just, these are the facts and what are you going to do with the facts? And I think where we run into problems is what you were just saying, Nini, is like when people, especially white people start seeing the facts, it becomes an emotional thing for them instead of just, okay, this is just the way that it is. And what, like, let's have a discussion of like how we can fix it, you know, it becomes like there's guilt associated with it. There's shame associated with it. And when those feelings start coming up, you know, as a tendency as human beings, we just block it. We guard ourselves, we push it away um, for our own emotional stability. But the problem being is that- Sort of, sort of. But all that stuff stays down there. Exactly. You know, in your own life, when you push stuff away, it doesn't go away. And it comes out in ways that you don't even realize that it's coming out. Hello. Hello. (laughs) Yes. That's why I I wanted to just get in the air and just, excuse me for interrupting you, but okay. The conversation. Yeah. But that's such an important thing for everyone to understand that pushing it down is not helping anything. It's, it's, it's exacerbating the, the issue instead of releasing it and letting life move forward. Okay. No, but that, I mean, that's really, that's a very important point because if we don't have the self-awareness to know that we're pushing down certain feelings, emotions, experiences, traumas, what have you, we also then have blinders on when we react and act out and project those onto other people, right? And so, you know, before I, before I get into this, I do want to say also that I have nothing but admiration and respect for educators. Yes. Going through what we yes. went through in 2020, it's exact, and it's, you know, as an author, I tried my best to help educators as much as I could because I knew they were burned out from being on Zoom, that mm-hmm. trying to teach, you know, a class of 36 and maybe only half of those class, your, your class kids have actual access to be able to participate in classes. And then as an educator, you're also being expected to report things where, that really puts an educator in a really bad position. You know, like, you know that your kids at home are probably going through some stuff, but you, you're supposed to be reporting to your superintendent or whatever, if you're seeing issues. And and it just, it got really messy and really murky and, and really horrible for the children, the teachers and the parents alike. Yeah. So I do wanna say, first of all, I do know that educators are under extreme, extremely, horrible conditions to do a job that they love to do that they've been loving to doing for many years i know that many are leaving and that breaks my heart also that are leaving education their educational careers um so i don't say all this to say like oh teachers aren't doing their job because it's not that there's a lot of factors and play here so I just want I want teachers to know I'm like on your side and and that is one thing when you talk about you know opening up conversations in classrooms and we have you know we critical race theory is now under fire with book bannings so even I'm sure there's teachers out there who want to bring books into their classrooms but they might live in states where they're illegally unable to illegally unable to do so or legally unable to do so right so you know there's a lot of different our government is just really dysfunctional and sick right now. There's a lot of issues that are that are happening for why teachers can't teach these things in their classrooms. And I understand that. Right. Um, but, you know, that being said, there are also still, you know, obviously critical race theory is about the, the laws and the rules and the regulations and the procedures that exist that are racist against ch- certain children, certain, um, you know, children to identify with certain sexual orientations. There are all of these things that have been put into place that lead to a differential outcome based on race or based on sexual orientation identification. And um, 
I would say for me, my awakening for all of this was reading a book called Push Out, The Criminalization of Black Girls in Schools by Monique W. Morris. Again, I'll say that again. Um, Push Out, The Criminalization of Black Girls in Schools by Monique W. Harris. And in this book, she explores you know, how the harsh and harmful experiences that Black girls face, and specifically Black girls face in schools that marginalizes them even more so to the effect of like so many of them drop out of school and they might get into, you know, sex work, prostitution um, because they don't have any other options, you know, um, or homelessness or a myriad of- Or they of, think they don't because that's the box they've been put into. Well, that's also the messages that they're getting from school. Right. Right. Um, so like, so, okay, so let's talk about like um, one statistic that I learned from this book um, was, and this was coming from the US Department of Education Office for Civil Rights. Um, their data showed that black girls are seven times more likely to be suspended from school and they're four times like more likely to be arrested on campus, while on campus. So that means a teacher, a principal, somebody is calling the police on these children. And these offenses that they're usually being arrested for or, or uh, suspended for usually are related to their communication styles, the girls, the black girls' right. communication styles, right. their expressions, the way they dress, the way they wear their hair, right. um, or, you know, just even trauma that they've experienced as, as a young child. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and, and then so, so these things are already happening in the classroom, just showing up to school every day. Right. But then if you do a deeper dive into what they're being presented in terms of, of textbooks or, you know, how, the, how, how, how um, let me try to say, I'm sorry, how things are being presented to them, ideas are being presented to them, yes. whether it's English or math or science, yes. you know, they're not seeing themselves represented yes. in the materials that are being offered to them. So wrong. And that so not seeing themselves in the books, black children, brown children, not seeing themselves even further solidifies in their own minds yes. that they're bad, yes. that there's something wrong with them, that, that they're, they're not worth anything, that they're, they're not worth anything. They have nothing of value to offer the right. world. Right. And, you know, and, and but it's really and, and nobody's there telling them that, no, it's the institutions that are right. really dysfunctional and right. bad and damaged, right. not you, right? you know? Right. And so after right. reading that book, it really, you know, and then obviously reading about everything, the disputes over critical race theory, for me, I feel like when I connect with teachers, I try to tell them, you know, it's really easy to fall into the trap of checking boxes. And I get that because you're just like, I'm just trying to get through the school year, you mm -hmm. know, and the, the checking of boxes are like, well, I did Black History Month. Well, I did Women's History Month. Well, I did Pride, you know, and but it's not enough. And it also, in my in my opinion, when you only focus on a certain month in kids' minds, I mean, we all have amnesia, but I think there's also like white amnesia where it's like when it's not presented to you constantly, it's easy to forget. It's easy to forget the challenges of of, of people who have been mar marginalized or right. you know um, taken advantage of. And right. so my thing is like find ways to incorporate the cultures that you want to explore throughout the year. Yes. And yeah, if you yeah. are a teacher who's in a state where cultural race theory, you know, is an issue and books are being banned, invite the authors to your school to do the work for you. We want to. And you can invite them virtually. You can invite them virtually. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. We want to do that work. We want to talk about our backgrounds. We want to talk about the books that we've written and why we book, wrote them and why we needed to, why we felt it was important to share. We, we will talk about the things that you probably aren't able to talk about. Um, and we want to. So for me, I'm like, you know, if you can invite, if, if you're having issues with your PTA, with your, with your superintendents, bring the authors in, bring the authors in and let us, let us help you. Let us help you because oh, we understand again, you can only do so much and you have a curriculum and you have tests that you have, you know, standardized tests. We understand all of that. Right. So, 
you know, we will help you. Every author that I know of, and we're really fun and we love kids. That's why we do this. So, you know, and we love all kids. Um, so we really want to be there on the forefront of helping you with these types of conversations because we know that they're hard to have. And we know that, um, again, you have limited budget, you have limited resources. So, you know, use us if you can. And you told me something, I mean, probably everybody on the planet knows this but me, but um, you incur, I somehow had the idea when a book goes into a library, then the author doesn't get any benefit from that. But that's not true. So you, not true. you encourage people to ask the library to get your book. And so could you talk about that a little bit? Because I think Oh, yeah, there's a lot of great ways to support authors if you don't if you can't or don't want to buy a book, because there are already there are so many books you can buy. We understand <laughs> your your houses can right. only our houses right. can only accommodate so many books. Right. But yeah, so other ways of 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 being able to support an author and their work is yeah, going to your your library, requesting the book if they don't have it. What that normally what that will do is if one book in a county gets a request for a book that's not available in any of the books in the county, then it usually triggers every single uh, book in library. I'm sorry. It triggers every single library in that county to buy the book. So that could mean anywhere from 15 to 50 book sales for okay. an author, which is amazing, which is yes. so great. And because, you know, some, we, we also authors rely on the teacher network because we know like a teacher network is gold and important and beautiful and wonderful. And, you know, so even if it's just talking about a book, um, it, like, you might not be able to get it for your class, but talking to other teachers might be, might be helpful in getting other school districts to buy the book. So we, we really rely on word of mouth as well. Um, you know, in inviting, you know, I was talking just now about inviting authors to come speak at your class. There are some teacher, I'm sorry, there are some authors who have honorariums where, you know, they have a, you know, a base rate that they would like to be paid. But I would say more times than not, if your school is just really bad budget strapped, there's other ways of working with an author. Maybe you buy two copies of their book for your school library, or you know you can send out slips to the kids' homes and they can pre-order books. Or working with even a local bookshop where the bookshop will order you know maybe ten copies of your book and they'll give five to the 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 school for their library classrooms and then they'll keep five and sell them at the store so there's there's other ways to accommodate and and um, honor uh, an uh, author's time for coming to your school that ne doesn't necessarily translate just into straight cash I love it I love it uh, I just I always love solutions uh, <laughs> given us so many and and they're practical and they're real and they they're fair and they're win-win and love that win-win <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and I always love finding, um, again, yeah, like solutions, especially for educators, because ultimately yeah. the children yeah. are the ones who benefit. Yes. You know, there's also, at least in Oakland, and I'm sure other um, other cities across the country, but in Oakland specifically, we have so many great organizations that are geared towards the arts for kids. Mm -hmm. So um, Chapter 510 is one of my favorite organizations here that specifically caters to children who love to write. So kids anywhere from second grade to 18 can take a myriad of classes. You, they've got poetry classes, they have mixed media arts classes, they have fiction novel writing classes, picture book writing classes, the whole, like every genre and format of writing is offered to kids mm. and in for free. So they do a lot of fundraising. Um, one of my favorite programs that they do that I participate in as a mentor is um, it was, it's called this year, it was called the Brave Books, where we had 10 fifth graders who really wanted to write a science fiction novel or science fiction book, picture book. And we mentored these kids for, I believe it was six weeks to teach them the structure and the craft of writing. So we talked about how do you develop a character? How do you develop a theme for your book? How do you write, a, like, how do you choose a point of view? All of those things we cover and then we actually apply to their stories. At the end of the six weeks, they then take their finished work and they work with an illustrator. 
And then, so then they get to see the process of how an illustrator goes through sketching, then through coloring, and then the file, final files. And then they'll see the book production to see how then their text is married to the illustrations and then created into an actual book. Wow. And then watching those files go to a printer. And so in September, we'll have a book fair where the kids will sell their books and the public is invited and all of the book sales go back into chapter 510. So now another group of fifth graders can take that class in 2023. Oh, that's fantastic. That's fantastic. So there's, so I say all that to say, I know that's really long winded, but I really love chapter 510. Um, but that's to say that, you know, there are organizations out there that if teachers are finding that they're just not able to cover some things during the school year to partner with those organizations and figure out how to maybe get their kids, especially the high excelling, high achieving ones who really, you know, excel in a certain subject to be able to continue that on, yeah. I think is really important. And there are organizations out there that, that want to do that. It takes a village. It really does. It Make really use does. Of that village. The village is there. It's there. Yeah. You don't have to build the village. You just have to go out and knock on doors, huh? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Wonderful. I love it. I love it. So um, because Show the World is basically a picture book, let's just uh, conclude with uh, something for the early childhood educators who are the main audience. But I, I'm happy to hear about for other grade levels because teachers talk to teachers and teachers have kids of their own that are in other grades. So I think it's all relevant. So I hope, I hope the listeners do too. But um, can we bring it back to early childhood education experiences of, of reading or having that book read to them? And what do you want to say for that? Yes, it's it's so important. I mean that that taking the time for a parent, you know, just fifteen hours a, or fifteen hours, fifteen <laughs> minutes a day. Yes. Fifteen minutes a day. Yes, um, is so crucial to early childhood literacy. And mm -hmm. again, like parents are just as as tapped for their time and their energy as educators are. But it's so important, um, you know. And and that's another piece where educators and, part, and parents partnering together is so important as well um, to give parents the resources and the tools that they can take back home and easily and effectively implement them into their, you know, family life routine. Mm -hmm. um, but I hope that, you know, we talk about picture books being for kids between an age, a certain age range of five to seven, but I just don't subscribe to that. I think picture books are for any, for any, kid from you know the age of one to 112 it doesn't matter um i think there's always a beautiful message that can be found in a really you know in a really well-crafted picture book yeah. and um and again we can we can celebrate the the differences but also the similarities of our traditions and our and our pasts and and how we can move together in the future and, and move together stronger in the future yeah yeah i love it Thank you, Angela. Um, I'm not forgetting about that tour concept. Okay, okay. <laughs> no, really, because that's another thing that could be a virtual and it could be tied to the book and it would make it so real, you know, because books are wonderful, totally wonderful. Then when you can see it physically, either even on a virtual tour, I just think that would be tremendous that this is real. We're not, this is not make-believe we're talking about, you know? This exists, yeah. Right, yeah. right outside your front door. It's, it's yeah. there and you belong there. So don't yeah. let anybody tell you otherwise. I honor your motivation and your energy and your heart and please keep doing this. Oh, but there's one more book that you've got coming. It's, it's about this, this, actress that's tell us about this um i'm so excited thank you for asking yes so it only go how nichelle nichols and star trek advanced civil rights now what tell us <laughs> so nichelle nichols oh wow she was monumental in so many young black girls lives in the 60s and 70s and 80s including myself i mean you'll she's the reason why we have dr may jameson the first black woman astronaut who went to space is because of nichelle nichols why? so this book why? well so this book is about how you know nichelle nichols was um it was, she's she was hired as an actress to play 
the role of um of commander um oh my gosh uhura wow lieutenant uhura Ooh, wow I, I need to work on my cell here because <laughs> that shouldn't have taken me that long oh and there's, there's okay lieutenant uhura of star trek um you know everybody knows star trek and and, and how it was from a social standpoint it was an amazing series because it showed this diverse group of people who were all very talented who were very they, they had special um skills and expertise and were needed um for the group and it was for Nichelle Nichols and for black people it was the first role on television that showed a black character that wasn't in servitude that wasn't a like you know a servant or a butler or maid what have you or that best she was, friend right or best friend you know right. but even now I mean even then back in the day they weren't best friends they right, were servants. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. um uh, but it, but it showed her as like an active equal member, at least visually, right? And um, so, but she she faced so much discrimination on the production lot. You know, she she was in a little bit of a safe bubble with Gene Roddenberry, the creator of the show, and the and some of the other actors. But like outside of that bubble, she faced just as much discrimination and racial insults as most Black Americans did. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, and she was a beautiful performer. She was a great performer, and she just thought, I don't really need to deal with any of this racism because it's just too much so she had given her resignation the weekend after her resignation she was doing a fundraiser and the host was like you know what there's somebody who wants to meet you he's been asking about you all night you have to you know you just have to say hello if you can she's like oh yeah sure she turns around and it's dr martin luther king jr (gasps) and he is saying you know Star Trek is the only show that we let our children, my wife and I let our children stay up late to watch. You know, I'm a trekker. I love the show. Thank you so much for doing it. And she's like, well, I just quit. (laughs) (laughs) And he's just like, what? So this book is about how their connection, this connection really changed her perspective of what she was actually contributing not just to the show, but to society and to the civil rights, because she just wasn't seeing it at that time. And I think that's just such an important message about how we can be impactful in ways that we don't even know. Yes. And that when somebody shows us, holds up a mirror, as scary as it is, as frustrating as it is, as annoying as it is, as tiring as it can be, that sometimes we just have to know that our impact is bigger than us. And for her, that's what that meant. And so she went on to stay with Star Trek, as we know. Mm -hmm. But also we owe the diversification of NASA to um, Nichelle Nichols. They call her the godmother of STEM because the Mm -hmm. NASA was having such a hard time getting candidates of diverse candidates, black candidates, women, because they had done such a bad job before. They were only going after white men who were pilots you know fighter pilots but they had a new uh a new rocket that they wanted to try out and the idea was it didn't have to be someone who was in the military that it could be powered by a teacher a scientist a doctor so they had gone and done this big um this mass uh pr campaign campaign to try to diversify their their candidates and they just couldn't do it so they commissioned her to put together a campaign, go oh, across the country. Wow. She had kids from, you know, all these different universities. Like when she was done, I think when, when that, if I remember my numbers correctly, when NASA had tried to do their campaign, they only got like 400 um, candidates. When she did her campaign, I believe at the end of it, she had 8,000. Wow. Wow. So, and one of those candidates after a few, um, test runs so you know you've got the challenger unfortunately the tragedy of the challenger would exploded yeah you know the two-thirds of the the crew were based on her um campaign they were Mm -hmm. the first kind of class that came through because of her campaign Mm -hmm. after that was dr may jemison and so she was the first black woman to go into space you know all of these i mean whoopi goldberg has stories about how nichelle nichols um, you know, affected her life, seeing her on TV. She wow. just, she just was 
um, she just meant so much. She just meant so much to black, especially black women, black girls. So I'm so excited for this book to come out because I'm excited to have those conversations um, about, you know, impact and, and how sometimes you just don't even know the impact that you're making. Right. And so then, you know, talk about giving credit then the, the producer, Gene Roddenberry, to have that vision and that motivation to mm -hmm. show that how we are, can all enrich each other working yes. together instead of separately. That part. Makes no sense. No sense for anybody working yes. together. That is such a beautiful story. I cannot wait to see that book. Me too. Oh. It, it is such a, it is, thank you for bringing that point up about Gene yes. Roddenberry, because I think it's also a beautiful story about seeing how men and women can work together. Yeah. How Gene Roddenberry fought for her, how Dr. Mm -hmm. Martin Luther King, I mean, he easily could have been like, well, come and walk with me. You know what I mean? And like, he would have been like, look, I've got, but he yeah. was just like, no, you know? Yeah. And, and he helped her to see again, he, and he didn't take credit for it. He didn't do any of that stuff because he knew it's like her power. And so I just feel like that's a beautiful story also about how men can support women and help them in, to amplify their power versus trying to utilize it for their own good. Woo! <laughs> so much. <laughs> I love it. This is this is how it's supposed to be. Yeah. I mean, there's just we have choices. We have choices every minute of every day, you know, and when we connect with this kind of positive directions, I mean. Anything can happen. Anything can happen. Yeah. So I'm. I love you. I bless you. I honor you. I respect you. I am so grateful for this time together. And um, that tour, if there's anything I can do to help that happen okay. or, or sign me up at the very least. Okay. No, I mean it. No, okay. because I, I, will. I need to see things. I need to be there. I, I'm really visceral like that. You know, I, yeah. I totally believe you. I've been to Oakland, you know, but to see those places, it, it'll make it more real for me than when I communicate with others, with white people, with white children. It's not just theory. It's not just out of compassion or empathy or concern about, you know, equity and all of that. It's like, you I see. saw that. That's incredible. You know, it's just like, this is real. Let's get out of our white silo. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. <laughs> yeah. Good. Okay. I made well, my thank point. Thank you again for having me and letting me have this time to, to discuss the book. I really appreciate that. I, you know, sometimes it's hard to do, you know, when you only have like 15 minutes and then you have to read the book and, you know, to really deeply talk about the purpose of the story and the hope that I had for it as an author. And, you know, as most books, it goes out into the world and, and people will create their own intention. They'll create their own purpose for it. They'll create their own, they'll translate it however they seem fit, depending on their focus. But, um, you know, I, it's, it's always nice to be able to talk about what my hopes were for it. Well, I feel greatly enriched. Thank you, my dear. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you so much. Goodbye. Goodbye. Please check out this show's notes for links and resources to some of the things we talked about. For one, <clears throat> a crystal clear and mercifully concise article on critical race theory titled, Why Are Some States Outlawing Critical Race Theory in Schools? Another resource article in this show's notes is titled, 27 Mistakes White Teachers of Black Students Make and How to Fix Them. It's not an article to make you feel guilty, just to increase awareness. Awareness is helpful to all of us. The next article is from the School Library Journal, which provides an overview of diversity in children's books. As Angela described in our conversation, it's not even close to providing adequate representation of all the diversity that exists in our nation. Also, Angela wanted us to learn more about Monique W. Morris's book, Push Out, The Criminalization of Black Girls in Schools. A reviewer for the Washington Post wrote that Push Out is truly a book for everyone who cares about children. And very importantly, Chapter 510, 
described by an 11-year-old Chapter 510 participant as a magicked-up, safe, and creative space for Oakland's young artists to come together and create. And even if you don't live in Northern California, this place and the great work they're doing with underserved and underrepresented youth demonstrates what the best of humanity can bring out in others who are ready to blossom and grow. Okay, until next time, thank you again for being here. Bye for now.